If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, it's really a turning point in the Gospels as we continue our season of Epiphany, a sermon series looking at Jesus, Jesus who has come. We're looking to God's Word to reveal to us who this Jesus is and and what he came for. This is so important. And we know that ever since Jesus appeared on earth, uh, men and women have been trying to find the real Jesus. I mean, there's been a, a pursuit of who really is this Jesus. And it's interesting as we pursue him, oftentimes Jesus becomes more like us and maybe we become less like him. Uh, a, a movie that uh, some of you might have enjoyed, a cult favorite, uh, one I don't recommend to your young people, the Talladega Nights. Uh, Ricky Bobby uh, is praying as he's a NASCAR driver. Uh, he's praying for a blessing uh, over the field, uh, over the meal, and he's praying to little baby Jesus, little six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. And and there was kind of a discussion that came like like you know, hey, he's no longer a baby. He's like, well, I like to picture him this way. This is my Jesus. The way I want to know him is as this little infant cuddly baby Jesus. And there's kind of others, uh, his buddy, uh, Cal will say, well, I like to picture Jesus like this. And it really, what becomes, uh, uh, it, it reveals something that's important about our culture is I think a lot of people have a Mr. Potato head Jesus. It's, it's one that you can put together the way you want him to be and, and how you see him to be. And what's most important is, is your understanding of Jesus. Well, Scripture doesn't give us uh, a Mr. Potato Head Jesus. It, it doesn't give us a couple of pieces that we pick and choose which ones most fit our lives. Uh, it really tells us that, that he and he alone, uh, this uncreated one, is the king of glory. We're going to see that this morning in an incredible passage. Uh, again, a turning point in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is going to ask, him, ask the question. Jesus himself asked the question, hey, who do people say I am? And they start giving him some Mr. Potato Head answers. Well, some say this and some say that and, and, and some say this. And it really intrigues me. I got to tell you a little bit of the background here. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew says he asked this question in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, it's uh, uh, Bonius. Uh, Bonarus is the uh, modern day uh, city. It's uh, in the old tribe of Dan. It's in the northern part of the Israel territory. Um, and the gospel of Luke says that he asked the question on the way there. So they might be traveling. If you've never had the privilege of going to Israel again, I can't stress enough. We're planning on going Lord willing again in May, uh, and a great trip. And one of the things that intrigues me is to be at Capernaum, which was like Jesus's home base, uh, at the sea of Galilee and traveling by van, uh, to go up to this ancient Caesarea Philippi. And it was a really pagan place. You got to understand the good Jewish boys didn't typically go to Caesarea Philippi because it was known as the gates of hell because there in the cleft of a rock and there was this place where they did awful human sacrifices and they did human sacrifices where uh, they would uh, sacrifice to the pan God and the goat gods and, and they would look to see as the water ran, if the, the way the blood ran, if the gods accepted the sacrifice or not. So it's in the midst of this pagan place in the midst of it, some called the gates of hell, that Jesus is asking this question to his disciples. It's a question he's asking us, who do people say I am? 
And the answer reveals so much. The answers, their answers reveal much that we need to see. Uh, although it was spoken over 2,000 years ago, uh, it was spoken for us. So as we see uh, the answer to who is this Jesus, uh, let us look to God's word for the answers. We'll be in Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 23. Let's hear the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for the question your son asked his disciples that he is asking us and will ask everyone who has ever been born, who do you say the son of man is? And Father, we see that your word will show that this question that hinges eternity. On this question turns death and life. On this question, so much, so much is being weighed so God, what we need is for you to come and speak through a broken sinner like me. What we need is for you to come and speak to each and every one of us. That you would give us ears to hear your voice. That you would give us minds to understand your word. That you would give us hearts that would embrace your truth and your love. And you'd give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain that glorious, beautiful, good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like the Son of Man, make us more like the Christ, make us more like your only begotten Son. And we pray this in his holy and matchless name. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find an outline in your bulletin. 
And again, this is, uh, this is revealing to us so much. So this one question of uh, who do the people say that I am and the answers to this is going to reveal so much about who Jesus is. But before we, we get to the, the answers of who do people say that I am, we got to start by looking at who does Jesus say he is? How does, how does Jesus describe himself in this text? And it's very interesting. He doesn't ask, hey, who do, who do the people say Jesus is? Or who do the people say that the king of glory is? He says this. He says, who do the people say the son of man is? Now, if you read the Bible, especially the gospel accounts, you'll realize that this is Jesus's favorite title for himself. A quick count uh, that I've done is, I think it's 82 times in the gospel, Jesus is referred to as the son of man. I think only a couple of those weren't out of his very own mouth. So of all the titles that Jesus could pick, all the things he could call himself, what do the people say of the creator of heaven and earth? What do the people say of the potentate of time, the one who created time itself? What do the people say of mighty God or Emmanuel? Instead, he says, what do people say of the Son of Man? And what does that reveal to us about Jesus? It's a plenty. I'm going to give you a few things, and then several of them can start with an H if you want to follow along. First of it, it's he's humble. I mean, he, again, he could have picked any title, but he chooses this title of the humblest of titles, son of man. Japanese businessmen and women have a tradition when they are engaging in business to exchange business cards. And one of the first things they do is look at the card to see who has the higher title, the higher rank, the higher authority, because what that will do is allow them to know who's to bow lower. And so if you are in, in, in a place of a superior and you look and say, oh, well, I, I'm a sales manager, but they're a regional sales manager. Uh, I must bow lower to the one who is greater. And think of Jesus. What's the calling card he wants to know? The humblest of all. I, I, I'm coming to seek and to save the lost. I'm coming not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. I mean, this, this is Jesus who, who will, will go so low that there's no one that he can't scoop up in his lowness, if you will, in his humility. What does it say about Jesus? Well, he's accessible to all. You cannot say about Jesus, he's too high and holy for me. He is high and holy. But he came and he was accessible to all. And then it also shows his humanity. I mean, Jesus has this beautiful habit that he can't stop of continually identifying with his people. He just wants to continually over and over and over again be identified with us. That's what this whole incarnation of God, God becoming flesh. The writer of Hebrews would say about Jesus that he was, he was made like us in every way. Therefore, he, he identifies with our emotions. He identifies with our feelings. He identifies with our burdens. It is true, we saying that Jesus is the king of glory, and yet he's the king in flesh, and he identifies with all of us. He, he identifies us with us in his baptism. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, that John the Baptist, uh, when Jesus came to him, said, whoa, 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 this is, this is all wrong. I mean, you are so much greater. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. But Jesus, although this baptism was for the repentance of sin, and he's the spotless lamb of God, wanted to be identified with us. No, I want to be identified with my people. 
It's more than that. I want to be identified with their sins. And then in his humanity, he, he identifies with us in his death that he would, he would actually, scripture says, would become our sins. He would become our sins. He would become the, the place that God's wrath was poured upon. Why? Because not only in his humility is he accessible to all, but in his humanity, he relates to all. He relates to you. Whatever you're going through, whatever burden you still carry, he'll say, come to me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me because I care for you. And then when we see the Son of Man, it also reveals a little bit of a theological, beautiful thing here. It reveals to us his headship. His headship. Son of Man is connected to Adam in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you were in the Gospel of Luke and you're reading through Luke chapter 3, it's there that you see this genealogy that's going to link Jesus, Son of Man, to Adam, Son of Man. And I see there's, there was two unique sons of men in their innocence. And this is really profound according to the scriptures. Because all of us, all of humankind, we today are being represented by one of two Adams. I know this is a bit of theological deep water, so just hang with me. This is what scripture teaches. You are here today and there's one of two Adams that represents you. And the first Adam that was created in that garden, the first Adam that was blessed with life, well, he, he fell and he sinned. And he brought to all of us, not to some of us, but to all of us, he brought sin and death and a curse. We live in such a broken world. We are such broken people. Why? Because we are in Adam, according to scripture. But there's a second Adam. As a matter of fact, scripture calls him that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam, like the first Adam, the only other one that was sinless because he's born of a virgin. The only other one that, that is pure. But in him, unlike that first Adam, he fulfills the righteousness of God. He lives the life we've failed to live. And with him, he brought to his own life instead of death, forgiveness and blessing. That's what you get in the second Adam. He represents all. Not only does he relate to all, uh, not only is he accessible to all, but his own, he represents all. So here's what this means. This is profound. If he represents you in heaven right now, what God is seeing, if you are in Christ, if you've given your life to him, he's seeing Christ's righteousness of being sufficient to robe you and make you beautiful. He's seeing Christ's blood sufficient to cleanse all of your sins. He's seeing, he's representing you. And now he lives to be our mediator. He lives to intercede for us. This is the beauty of, of this second Adam who has come uh, to represent us all. And then you know, lastly, in this, uh, the son of man, you got to think of history if you want to keep with the H's or prophecy, really. Because Jesus is the promised son of man that was to come. The book of Daniel, uh, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, talks about the ancient of days. And according to, to Daniel, there'll be one who will come. Let me read it to you. This is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus. I saw in night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you see this, what does God reveal to us when Jesus himself calls himself the son of man? It's just so beautiful. But what do the people say? Jesus asked specifically, who do the people say I am? Now, I think we got to understand this is the people. It's, it's the word anthropos, really. It's just the, who, do, who does man, man and woman? He doesn't ask the question, who do the critics say I am? He doesn't ask the question, who do the religious leaders say I am? Or who do my enemies say they am? He's just like, hey, tell me about the people. What's the word on the street? What's the 411 about who I am, who this son of man is. And so they answer. It's very interesting. It's, it's again, it's a bit of the uh, potato head Jesus. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Interesting. John the Baptist, who was a forerunner to Jesus. We saw him in the baptism a few weeks ago, who was Jesus's cousin. John the Baptist, we will read that he had his head cut off by Herod. It was presented on a silver platter. And Herod was freaked out when he kept on hearing about this Jesus. And he said, maybe this is John the Baptist who's come back to haunt me. And others say, well, maybe it's John the Baptist. And, and others would say, well, maybe it's Elijah. Now, Elijah has a really cool biblical tie uh, to John the Baptist anyway. Because the uh, prophet Micah, and, and Micah chapter 4, verse 5, will say that the, the spirit of Elijah is going to come as a forerunner to Jesus. He's going to come and pave the way. And then we'll find out through scripture, Jesus himself will say in the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew 17, 10 through 12, the spirit of Elijah did come. It was John the Baptist. He did prepare the way. So what they're asking is that Elijah, is this like the forerunner to the Christ? And then he says, well, maybe he's Jeremiah. And I don't know for sure why they said Jeremiah, but Jeremiah has the moniker of the weeping prophet. One who was just broken over the people's sins and their hard-heartedness. And we think of Jesus being the weeping Messiah who will weep at a friend's tomb. Who will weep over Jerusalem saying, oh man, how I've longed for you. But then they also say, well, maybe he's just one of the prophets. Maybe he's just like one in a long list of people who spoke for God. Maybe he's, he's just one of many of the dead prophets who are no longer here. Clearly on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared, Jesus made, or God the Father made clear that Jesus is not just one of the prophets. But that's next week's sermon. So come back. Who do the people say I am? You know what we find out with this? It's very interesting. The people thought highly of Jesus. I mean, no one said he was a charlatan. No one said he was a fraud. No one said he was a sinner. Listen, the people thought highly of Jesus, but they didn't think rightly of Jesus. And we need to know we live in a time where Jesus is highly respected, that many who, who don't bow and need him respect him as a prophet, respect him as a teacher, respect him as a, a religious man. And we have to know, according to Scripture, and maybe this is you. It's simply not enough to think highly of Jesus. That's not enough. We need to know him as he truly is. The Christ, the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. So then Jesus, hearing the answers, turns to his disciples and says, okay, fellas, it's your turn. Who do you say I am? They've been journeying with him. And it's Peter, usually the first to speak, not always the first to think. I love Peter. But this is one of the ones that he knocks it out of the park. Peter speaks first. And he says, you are the Christ. Now, that's not his last name. That's a title. You are the Christos. You're, you are, you are the, the promised Messiah. You are the anointed one. The one we've been longing for to come and to make all things new. Not only are you this Christos, you are this Christ, but you are the son of the living God. Wow. I mean, that's a home run right there. I mean, that, that is, that, that is everything turns, everything hinges. I mean, this is a thunderbolt in scripture. This is the exclamation point. Let's unpack it for a minute. You are the Christ. Again, they long awaited a Messiah to come. You are that Messiah. You are the coming king in the line of David. And then he he, he adds, you're the son of the living God. You are the eternal one. You are the only begotten one. You're the son who's come to rescue us. You got a connection to that ancient of days. And I love this perfect, perfect combination who does Jesus say he is? He's the son of man, and he is. Who does Peter say he is? He's the son of God, and he is. And you see this beautiful uh, mystery of in one person, one fully man, one fully God, and one Jesus who is the Christ. He's the son of man who could relate to us. And he's the son of God who could save us and rescue us. And this answer, I mean, it reveals so much. I mean, seriously, everything hinges on this. And, and what it reveals, and let me give you a list of a couple of things. One of it reveals eternal life. John 17, 3 says this. And this is eternal life. That they know you, God, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you sent. According to scripture, eternal life is found in in this belief, this understanding of knowing who Jesus is. This is eternal life by God's grace saying that Jesus is the Christ. It reveals God's blessing. Again, I I love this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. It's kind of like this when when your mom or dad is so excited for you and growing up, or maybe you do, and you say, blessed are you, Jeffrey Peter Jakes. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I mean, you got this one right. I mean, again, I've said this before, but somehow I just picture, and I'm sure it's just in my mind, so forget about this, but I just picture Jesus grabbing Peter and kind of give him a nuggie and just like, blessings are you, Peter. This is awesome. Peter, son of Barjona. It's Peter, the blessed one. As you see, we, we find... Throughout scripture, we saw it in Jesus' baptism that God's blessing is found in God's son. Let me say it again. God's blessing is found alone in God's son. It's not earned. It's not a birthright. Uh, It's not something that religious people get and irreligious people don't or or moral people get and, and immoral people don't. God's blessing is found exclusively in the Christ, the son of the living God, the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to find find God's pleasure and blessing is to find by God's grace, God's son. 
And then through the amazing grace of God, it rests upon you forever. It reveals more that. It reveals not just God's blessing. It reveals God's grace and mystery. He says something again, so profound here that we can't miss it. He, 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 he gives them this blessing and then he turns and he says to them, now let me tell you something, Peter, you're not that smart. It's not like you still smell like fish. You're still a pretty prone to wander fisherman. It's not like you just, you know, ace the test. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and finally solve the equation and the Rubik's cube and it all became clear. No, no, my father has revealed this to you. And we see this incredible mystery of God's grace. We see this incredible mystery of, of things like adoption and predestination and, and God, God's sovereign plan that, that maybe it makes us sometimes feel uncomfortable if we don't really dig and understand it. But I'm telling you, it's absolutely beautiful and amazing because dead Men and women in their sins and trespasses don't make good conclusions that Jesus is the Christ. God has to first intervene. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through about 10. And it'll say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And listen to this, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. According to his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Are you here this morning? And is Jesus, by God's grace, your Lord? It didn't come from flesh and blood. The gratitude is all his. God, by his grace, gives us faith. God, by his renewing Holy Spirit, gives us life. And by that enabling grace, we run to him freely. But it reveals a mystery, a mystery of God's grace. It also reveals to us God's one foundation. And this is really, really important because the church has a history here that goes in two different directions. What is the foundation in which Father and Jesus are going to build his church? Upon what will the church be built? And you read scripture closely. I mean, you don't have to read it that closely. There is only one foundation. There is one cornerstone and his name is Jesus and again, there's a tradition will say that on Peter, on the rock of Peter, the church was going to be built. No way. Peter is going to deny. Peter's going to run. It's not upon the unstable ground of Peter. It's interesting, Peter, Petros in the Greek, he says, upon this rock, Petra in the feminine, 
not in the masculine. I'm going to build my church. You know, well, why, why the change in neuter here? What, what, what's, what's the change? Well, he calls the church. He calls it anytime there's like a, a, a where we're called the church. It's always in the Greek in the feminine. And so he says on this Petra, on this rock, on this confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ is the foundation and the confession that you are the Christ is how the church is built. And it reveals to us that foundation. You know, I, I love the fact that this has, it says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Most of my childhood growing up, I pictured that the big bad guys won't get in here because eventually the gospel wins the day and we will have a fortress safe enough, secure enough. And there's truth to that. But when I looked at this at a greater study, and really, to be honest with you, when I went on an Orange County SWAT raid with my brother-in-law and I saw a battering ram blow the hinges off a door, you realize what, what is really being said here is you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my followers. And I'm going to send you to some really bad, dark places. But let me promise you the gates of hell will prevail. The gospel, the light of the gospel reigns. Darkness doesn't. So when you go into your workplace, when you go into your neighborhood, when you, when you go into your, to your quietness of just spending time with the Lord, just remember the light winds, even over our addictions, even over the things that still plague us. And you know, you turn this corner. How does knowing Jesus as the Christ impacts us? Again, we've seen some of this, but the first thing it is, is it opens up all the door to all of God's blessings. I read to you Ephesians 1.3 that says that in Christ, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly realms are ours. I don't even know what fully that means. All the spiritual blessings. It's basically saying every good and perfect gift. That was interesting. Couldn't have been the air conditioning. Maybe the heat just came on. What do you think, Jim? All of the blessings of God funnel and find their way to us. Through Christ Jesus, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, justification, being declared not guilty in a holy God's eyes, sanctification, adoption, they're all ours in Christ Jesus. But if, listen, this is where we got, where the rubber meets the road. But if it's true that Jesus is the Christ, if it is true that Jesus is the son of the living God, his will should be done, not ours. His kingdom must come, not ours. So Peter hits it out of the park. Peter says, you are it. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And from there, once they know who he is, he reveals to them the plan. Okay, you know who I am? Here's the plan. The plan is we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the officials. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. That's got to happen. So Peter's like, hmm, this is the Messiah. This is God's son. I don't want to embarrass God in front of the others. So let me pull him aside. Hey, Jesus, can you come step over here for a minute? He's probably wiping his brow thinking, oh my gosh, how does this guy think he's going to die? I mean, what king comes to die, you know? I mean, what, what king comes to, to give his life as a ransom for many? This is not the way the story's going to unfold, Jesus. Let me give you a little clearer view of how this is going to take place. And Peter had the unbelievable, foolish audacity to tell God in flesh how things are going to happen. 
He did it respectfully, not in front of others. He pulled them aside. He rebukes God. He rebukes them, it says. He rebukes the Christ. Anyway, he's really was saying is, Jesus, not your will be done, but my will be done. I, I have a view for you, Jesus. I have a view for your kingdom. I have a plan. I have a plan for you, Jesus. It sounds like you have a plan, but it ain't my plan. See, my plan for Jesus doesn't include suffering and, and it doesn't include dying and it doesn't include resurrecting. I mean, my plan, we're, we're going to ride into Jerusalem. And we're going to kick some backside. We're going we're gonna to take Rome and we're going to bring it to his knees and we're going we're gonna to rule and reign. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus is like, man, let me tell you something. That, that the Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up. This whole thing ends in a cross. This whole thing ends in humiliation of the scandal that the Christ, that the son of the living God is gonna die because your sins are that bad, Peter. You see, Peter had this, had this nice picture of the Mr. Potato Head Jesus that, hey, I know who he is and everything's going to be okay and, and there's no suffering and this death and all this junk of life. That's not going to be a part of the story. And he had such a low view of sin that, that how, how is the Messiah going to make us right? Apart from bleeding over our sins, apart from absorbing the wrath of God. And do you know how many of us live our lives saying Jesus is the Christ, but let me tell you about his kingdom, how we should live. And I just, it's appalling that we live in a time where, where the cross is hardly even central to our teaching and our living and our believing. But I, I tell you this, without the cross, we have nothing. We are lost sinful people. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he is just one of the dead prophets who lived a pretty good life, but died a terrible death. Jesus said, there's no way, Peter. You're going to have to get behind me, Satan. Because those aren't my plans. You don't have good news without the scandalous reality of the cross of Christ Jesus. This is telling us that we must know Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, but we must also follow Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. Right after this teaching, it's really important. Right after this teaching, Jesus says, hey, you want to be my disciples? Let me tell you what it costs. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross. And you're going to have to follow me daily. And by the way, anyone who wants to save their life is going to lose it. But anybody who loses their life for my sake is going to find it. If you really want to live, if you really want to know, you're going to have to die to you and live for me. And Paul will say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you have a respectful answer, but not the right answer? Or do you, by God's grace, not because of flesh and blood, say he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Then maybe the more important question, well, 
or a important question. No, no, there's more. Who does your lifestyle say that Jesus is? And again, we're not saved because of moralism. We're not, and, and we're not going to get there because of, of our lifestyle. But the reality is we can't say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then say, Jesus, come and bow to my will. Jesus, yes, he's so humble and meek, he's accessible to all. But you have to know, he is the king of glory. He bows to no one. And he will never, he'll never do anything but his father's will to its totality. And he calls us to submit our life to him. He will not be manipulated. And he will not bow to anyone. What does your life reveal about Jesus? Is it a Mr. Potato Head Jesus of your own choosing? When I like to pray, I like to pray to little baby Jesus. Or do you come to the king of glory and say, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And thy will be done. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible story. I just love the picture of the journey of you and your disciples going to a pretty nasty place of Caesarea Philippi. I love the fact that Jesus, you asked that question because it reveals so much. Holy Spirit, you know the answer to everyone's heart here. Father, if there are those here this morning who think of you in a respectful, nice way, but miss who you really are, God, this flesh and blood can't prove it, but Holy Spirit, you can. Would you be gracious to reveal to the one who doesn't know the truth of who your son is? And God, there's many in this room probably the majority who would say, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. May your Holy Spirit allow us to look at our lives and tell us how many times we've pulled aside Jesus and rebuked him and said, we have a better way. I know I have. I know I do. Forgive me. For the countless times I feel like my way is better than yours. My comfort's more important in your glory. Father, blow afresh your grace upon us. Break us where we need to be broken. Heal us where we need to be healed. And do all that so we become more like Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.